0: you're listening to the sound defense alliance podcast
1: welcome back to the sound defense alliance podcast for the last time i'm caitlin here with my co-host tara this is it our 12th and final episode for the past 11 episodes we've been breaking down the many aspects of the naval growler jet noise issue in this episode we're going to widen the scope a bit and talk about the National Aviation Noise Issue with Jamie Banks, the founder and president of Quiet Communities, and the chair of the Noise and Health Committee at the American Health Association. The greater theme of the episode is the importance of speaking up, so we'll also hear from guests Tom Ewell and Teresa Purcell, who will tell us how we can do just that.
0: First, let's hear from Jamie about Quiet Communities and the work that they're doing to address aviation noise and bring local communities experiencing it together.
2: Quiet Communities is a national nonprofit organization. We are really a coalition of medical, scientific, and legal professionals who are working to reduce health and environmental harm from noise and related pollution. And it's our Quiet American Skies program that is the one that is focusing on Aviation Noise and Pollution, and the Honorary Chair of that is Dr. Arlene Bronzaft who worked on these issues from a research perspective for years, and we're honored to have her. So I live in New England, and Quiet Communities is based in Massachusetts, but we work with communities all around the country. In aviation, people often think of aircraft noise as a local problem, but we look at it also as a national problem regulated by federal agencies like the FAA, Federal Aviation Administration, and Department of Defense. Now, some of what we deal with is commercial jet operations, and a lot of the problems that are associated with that program are due to the NextGen program the concentrated flight paths of commercial jets over fewer communities. And in some cases, it's exposing residents to hundreds of flights per day over their homes, and sometimes also at low altitudes. And in other cases, it's noise from commercial as well as other types of aircraft that are sometimes even more distressing. And these can include sources like small planes, helicopters, private jets, cargo aircraft, and military aircraft that we know is especially loud. We were working with the problem of aviation noise for years, but it just got to a point where it seemed like it was time and an opportune time to start a formal program, Quiet American Skies. So we started that in the beginning of 2020. And we got involved for three basic reasons. The first is that there are so many communities suffering from aviation, noise and pollution today. And it's not just the 400 some odd thousand defined by FAA. We know that it's many, many more that are living outside these 65 DNL borders and also include people that are being exposed to other types of aircraft, aircraft other than just commercial jets. The second reason is that the impacts really are serious. They've been known for 50 years. And just to be clear for the audience, these are impacts that go beyond just hearing damage. They include sleep disruption and stress. Those in turn are known to increase the risk of conditions like stroke, heart disease, metabolic disorders like diabetes, and death. And there are physiological reasons for that. Noise is also known to diminish children's learning and cognitive development. And the emissions that are produced by aircraft are associated with cancer and developmental disorders. This relates to ultrafine particles from non-leaded fuel as well as the avgas leaded fuel that we heard about in a recent hearing. So we know that when aviation noise is reduced, some of these impacts are mitigated. There are actually studies that show during the pandemic, the number of heart attacks went down It was directly related to decreases in aviation noise. And there's other studies that show that children's test scores rebound when the source of noise is mitigated or removed. So the evidence is very compelling. So lastly, getting back to the reasons we got involved is that there's no one really doing anything about this problem and it's difficult. I mean, we're really up against decades of inaction and federal agencies and so forth. And we feel that framing this as a public health problem creates a common ground where we can start to have discussions and look for solutions. And that's really the strategy that we're, we're pursuing.
1: Other aspects of the national aviation noise issue that are important to understand are the lack of funding and recognition of existing aviation noise legislation the discrepancies in the allowed noise levels across government agencies, and the disconnect between agencies and public health experts.
2: Just as a background, the problem of aviation noise is also related to the lack of effective federal noise legislation in the United States. And it's created a disconnect between health science and federal policy at the FAA. The Noise Control Act of 1972 and the Quiet Communities Act of 1978 are actually still on the books. They were once implemented and enforced, but their funding was cut in 1981. That legislation promised to protect Americans from noise that jeopardizes their health and welfare, but we know many Americans that estimate is over 100 million are estimated to be at risk today from everyday noise. So the public, state and local governments have basically been left to fend for themselves, but that is just not working. There's no coordination across federal agencies promised by the noise legislation. It doesn't exist today. And as I mentioned, there are these disconnects. And just as an example, you know, the FAA's 65 day-night average, the 65 DNL, is 10 to 20 decibels higher than levels from the United States Environmental Protection Agency and the World Health Organization. That translates to noise that is two to four times as loud as what those agencies recommend to protect health. And just lastly, the FAA's policies have really not included any meaningful input from health scientists. And despite decades of evidence showing harm from noise and emission, the FAA continues to refer to aviation noise as simply an annoyance, ignoring its serious impacts on health, learning, and quality of life.
0: Despite these barriers to change, Quiet Communities is doing a lot of work on the national level to have a meaningful and positive impact on aviation noise across the country.
2: With regard to what Quiet Communities has done, With regard to aviation, we pretty recently started a series of conferences on aviation noise and emissions to connect the science to what people are experiencing in their communities and then to policy to help find effective solutions. And that's going to be ongoing into 2023 and probably beyond. We also conducted a national pilot survey of communities that are affected by aviation noise to better understand the impacts. We presented to congressional staffers in 2021 on aviation noise and pollution. We sent an open letter to the Department of Transportation, House Aviation Subcommittee, Congressional Quiet Skies Caucus. We've provided statements to the National and White House Environmental Justice Advisory Councils to bring attention to the disparate impacts of noise and pollution on those communities, not just from aviation, but other sources. And then we have testified and provided assistance to state legislators and federal legislators that are looking for provisions to put in upcoming legislation. And then more generally relating back to the need for federal noise legislation to support legislation around aviation noise and policy around aviation noise, we're working very hard to get the Federal Noise Control Program reactivated.
1: It's also important to recognize that aviation noise doesn't impact us all equally, and that there are some communities that face much worse effects and outcomes from this noise and other forms of pollution.
2: Well, generally, you know, like with other sources of pollution like air pollution, The sources of noise pollution tend to be located in or close to poor communities, and that includes airports. There's been national studies that show that exposure to both air, transportation and road traffic noise is highest in minority and low income neighborhoods and in public schools that serve those communities. And when you think of aviation, it really goes beyond just aircraft taking off and landing. It also includes you know, all the noise and pollution that comes from transportation infrastructure, like road traffic infrastructure that serve those airports. So you really have to think broadly about it. And you know, a lot of the ongoing construction and infrastructure projects that go in and around airports as well, impacting those communities. There's another reason why poor and minority communities may be more adversely affected, and that's because residents of those communities tend to have poor pre existing health status and less access to health care or quality care. And these things make them more vulnerable to the effects of aviation noise and pollution.
0: Throughout this podcast, we focused on the growler jet noise issue across Northwest Washington, but this issue falls within a much wider problem of the unchecked aviation noise across the country. And Jamie tells us how local efforts against specific aviation noise can come together and benefit from a network of activism, as well as what quiet communities is doing to influence change on the federal level.
2: From wearing the hat that I wear at the American Public Health Association. I did want to mention that we put out a new policy statement. The APHA put out a new policy statement called noise as a public health hazard. And I wanted to encourage people to read it. It's a very concise review of noise and its impacts and also has policy recommendations and it's pertinent to aviation. So that's one thing, and then people need to organize and work with local legislators and airports to try and find solutions and get even small successes that can be lead by example successes for others to follow. We're going to be hosting a series of conferences on legislative, legal, and technical solutions in aviation, and we're going to be highlighting where successes have been achieved so that we can have those lead by example models you know, for others to follow. And if your audience is interested, I would suggest that they write us at events at quietcommunities.org and we can include them on the invitation list. Another suggestion for environmental justice communities is that they really need to raise their voices on noise, make noise about noise. And one way that they could do that is by submitting statements to the National and White House Environmental Justice Advisory Councils. Both of those councils do have websites. So by going to National Environmental Justice Advisory Council, you will be able to get to that council. It is within the EPA. And similarly, the White House Environmental Justice Advisory Council you'll find easily on the web and is also under EPA. Both of those councils have regular meetings and they both need to hear more from the public about the impacts of noise from aviation as well as other sources. It's very under the radar for them. There's lots of other problems obviously facing those communities and it would be great if they would hear more about this. And then another thing is for people to ask their congressional representatives, be they Democrats, Republicans, or independents to join the Congressional Quiet Skies Caucus. That caucus is putting pressure on FAA to alleviate aviation noise on communities, and similarly for military communities to try and influence DOD through their congressional representatives. And then lastly, and based on this you know, broad, you know, noise issue, we have to work together to get the federal noise control program refunded and to give lawyers and attorneys working in this area tools that they can use to get change to happen. So we encourage people to write to the White House, to their congressional representatives, to EPA and others to demand that that program be reactivated to protect the health of the American public. You know, it's a lot of advocacy, it's a lot of work, it's a lot of time and hiring. But if we can really put, you know, some numbers behind this and persistence behind it, I'm optimistic that we can start to make some
1: change. Jamie spoke about one of the most important ways that you can speak up and make noise about noise, speaking to your elected officials. We know this can be daunting, so we're going to hear from Tom Ewell and Teresa Purcell about how you can do this most effectively. Tom and Teresa are the perfect people to bridge local efforts with larger movements because Tom has spent much of his career doing peace and justice work based in his Quaker faith at the national and local level. And Teresa is a national political communications and organizing consultant, writer, speaker, coach, and trainer specializing in work in rural America and with BIPOC communities to build power from the ground up.
0: Tom has a background in lobbying with the Quaker organization Friends Committee on National Legislation. But don't be intimidated by the word lobbying, because it simply means seeking to influence a politician or public official on an issue. So yes, while big corporations have highly paid lobbyists up on Capitol Hill, you too can be a lobbyist on issues that are important to you. As Teresa will remind you, these legislators are people too.
3: For a number of years, I was part of, and I still am, part of our national Quaker lobby called the Friends Committee on National Legislation, and I was on the board of directors for several years and therefore went to Washington, D.C. about three to four times a year for a number of years, which meant that I had an opportunity to see Rick Larson and Patty Murray's office and others on a regular basis. They got to know me. I work very closely with staff. I'm not concerned that I get to see Rick Larson that often, but I do like to see their staff. I get to know them, get to know their names. They will give me information. When I joined Sound Defense Alliance, I had access and relationships with Rick Larson's staff in particular, a very good one with Marie Cantwell's office, one that uh, you know, we walk across the street to greet each other, one of his top people. And lobbying is relationship, relationship, relationship. It's all about building trust and competence. You can only get as far with the legislator as your accurate information. That's another reason for all the, the studies that we've been doing. The other piece is that, that they get to know you. They get to trust you. And we Quakers have a pretty good reputation of listening, and that's always welcome in any legislative arena. So lobbying is a lot about exchanging 50% of the information I have, 50% of listening to, to them. Rick Larson will tell you he's got what three or four bases in his district plus Boeing. He can only go so far. So I listen to that. I appreciate that. I respect that. At the same time, I say Rick. You know, you also got a constituency of voters and he respects and listens to that. So that's the way a lobby visit goes. Rick's a very pragmatic guy. Rick Larson is very pragmatic. He's got to talk pragmatism with him. You can't go after him cheap. The more information you have, the better. He came to our house two or three times now for house meetings during election periods. And Kathy and I were, uh, my wife and I were working on Complaining about the amount of money spent on the military budget. I call it the Pentagon budget, not the military, but the Pentagon budget is somewhere over 50% of our discretionary budget. So, Kathy and I made a great big pizza pan of an apple pie and uh, over imposed on it what we know of the distribution of the federal budget. And of course, there's a huge portion of it goes uh, to the military, to the Pentagon. We then drew hats, do a name out of a out of a hat for who got part of the pie. And uh, the person that got the 50 percent, of course, was embarrassed. And the others that got slivers said, you know, we can't live on this. We can't (laughs) we, we, we can't. And Rick remembers that pie more than the data. You have to be imaginative. One of the best nonviolent approaches is to be creative with imagination. The powers of be cannot tolerate two basic things. One of them is that they can't tolerate sadness, any kind of despondency. And the other thing is that they really can't tolerate very well, creativity and humor and imagination. Those are things that they can control the rest. They can control you. If you come after them with a stick, they know how to do stick, and they've got some bigger stick. But if you come after them with a smile and a flower and a big apple pie, they say, whoa, you know, uh, I better listen here.
4: The thing that's important to keep in mind when you're talking about contacting our elected officials is most of our elected officials were just regular people before they became elected officials. So I just remind people that a lot of the folks, I mean, again, Senator Patty Murray was a preschool teacher before she was elected to the state Senate and then to the U.S. Senate. You know, people have long and different experiences in their pathway to being elected, but many of them were just regular folks to just speak their truth. I mean, that is really the most important thing that they can do. There's no, you know, fancy talking points or languages to just share with the elected officials that we are feeling under assault. We are feeling that our military that we pay for with our tax dollars is actually doing more harm to our communities than they are doing good. To make that case and also recognizing that we don't want to close the base, we want to find a higher and better use for that asset, but we also know that there are other places where there will be less negative impacts from the noise in other parts of the country that the growlers could be
1: faced. After 12 episodes of breaking down all of the negative impacts of the EA-18G Growler Jets on Northwest Washington, on hearing and cardiovascular health, on children's learning, on our climate and local water, on animals and ecosystems, on public land, on the economy, and more, it's easy to feel overwhelmed. Yes, this is an uphill battle but there are wins being made on the local, regional, and national level. We cannot emphasize enough how important it is that we speak up about this issue and make noise about noise.
3: Speaking up on issues like this, organizing is crucial. You know, I think here we are in Whidbey, These the people who have been in opposition throughout the San Juans and Port Townsend, these are basically wealthy, upper-class, well-educated people. We have the means to stand up, to launch a lawsuit, to organize various events. I'm thinking across the globe, all the people in the Philippines in particular, but Korea, there's so many American bases, these bases that where, where the people have no voice. They don't have elected officials to, to resort to like we do. So it's important that we raise our voices, that we use the democratic process as best we can to get our elected officials to be accountable to us and ultimately to have the Navy accountable to us for the harm they're doing. I want to say to everyone how much I admire the folks who have stayed with this struggle for so long. Perseverance, resiliency, tenacity are words that I associate with a number of people, especially those who live under the jets and still live under the jets. The tenacity, I respect that so deeply. They're really, it's a sacrificial effort to speak for people that, the voiceless. And I admire people that do that. And there are a number of people now that have been working on this issue, trying to get the growlers out of here. I admire so much. And I could name names, but I don't want to name even one because then I'll think of 10 more. Just
4: speak your truth. That's the most important thing you can do. And also just speak up. Don't be afraid because people do respond. And there's this huge challenge in that everybody assumes that no one is listening, but people really are listening. And I think the one thing I would add to that is it's just been a couple of years where we've really been focused on coming up with a remedy, coming up with an answer. I think for the years before that, there was just a, you know, make them go away. Think that that, when you just say no to something, when you just want something to go away, it makes it easier for those in power to just say, oh, those are just a bunch of folks that are grumpy. But when you're saying, yes, we want this to happen, but we also want this to happen. And we actually have, you know, a roadmap. We have a remedy. And we want to restore the balance between our national security needs and the needs of the, the people of Northwest Washington. That's a much stronger place to start the conversation from than just saying no. But we just really have to keep up and build the pressure to say, you know, let's get serious about this remedy. Let's get serious about making something happen and let's hold the Navy accountable to listening to the members of Congress who are their bosses to actually do the right thing. We want
0: you to be a part of the conversation and help to build the pressure. There are so many ways to get involved with these efforts and our work at the Sound Defense Alliance. As always, there are resources in the show notes below this episode. So check them out to learn more and to join us.
1: We really hope that you enjoyed this podcast and that you learned about the many facets of this complicated issue. A huge thanks to all of our incredible guests who are dedicated to a solution and who contributed such powerful stories and information to this podcast. Thank you for listening.